This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Welcome to episode six. Today, we're going to look at the importance of play for our children, for their development, and for their overall well being. I hope that by listening today, you feel really encouraged that you're accomplishing so much in your parenting by hanging out with your child. There's a lot of pressure on us to make sure our kids are physically, cognitively, and emotionally capable. Luckily, they were built to learn all this stuff naturally, just by spending time with their tribe, doing tribe stuff. For some of you, this may be the excuse you are looking for to play more. And for others, it may be the first time you've considered the importance of play. I'll make recommendations for how to play with your child to ensure they get the most benefits out of their play. And I'll make suggestions for how to squeeze play into your busy schedule. As this is a mindful parenting podcast, I'm going to highlight for you how play deeply supports our mindfulness practice of being present and engaging fully in the moment. So play is really important for your child's growth and development, second only to their relationship with you. Let's take a quick look at some of the development impacted by play. First, physical development. This is fine and gross motor skills, feeding, sleeping, and potty training are some examples of this. Cognitive development. This is language, memory, attention, processing, and perception. Social skills, such as theory of mind, the ability to conceptualize what another person may be thinking or feeling, communication, reciprocation, negotiation, empathy, and leadership. Emotional wellness, resilience, assertiveness, flexibility, ability to self-soothe, and emotional regulation, the ability to identify, communicate, and manage emotions effectively. And finally, academic functioning, problem-solving skills, listening, following directions, curiosity, attention, and initiative. What makes play so powerful, so supportive to developmental growth? Well, play is the language of children, so it's the most effective way to communicate with them and to communicate information to them. It's their natural mode for exploring their world. So by allowing them to do this, we ensure they're learning everything they need to know about their environment and about their identity and emotions. Think about how much you learn from doing something versus reading the instructions. And to that point, I'm going to give you three simple steps to make the most beneficial impact on your child's play right now. These will be a lot more meaningful in practice than they will be just hearing me talk about them. So take note or go to wideawakeparenting.com to get the show notes so that you can put these to work immediately. First, model. 
Your child learns the most from watching you. By playing and spending time with them, they learn to hold and drink from a cup, to tie their shoes, to open and close the door, to share with others, and to be assertive. When we're tuned into this, we naturally start talking about what we're doing and slowing down our pace so our little copycat can take watch and practice. We'll break all this down into detail, but just remember that the time they spend with you is helping them attain their masters in life. When you're playing with them, they're especially engaged. So take this opportunity to model how to handle disappointment when they knock over your building, how to connect the train tracks, or share with them. And when you sit down and engage fully with them, you're modeling how to be in the present moment. I think this is so valuable because we're teaching our child that they don't have to save their mindfulness work for the yoga mat or meditation pillow only. We can bring this practice to all our activities. Label. Talk about what you guys are playing with. If your child's taking care of a baby, describe all their actions. You're placing the baby in the chair. You found his cereal. Oh, you have the spoon and you're using it to feed him. I love this because it's the easiest thing to do and one of the most beneficial. We often have the urge to ask children a bunch of questions while they're playing. What color is that? How many do you have there? This pulls them out of the present and focused moment. It makes them have to attend to you versus their own process of learning and creativity. Usually the questions we want to ask have right or wrong answers. No, it's blue, honey, not red. There's nothing like getting an answer wrong or the fear of getting an answer wrong to shut down our initiative to explore and experiment. What we know encourage growth and learning. By simply labeling or describing, you're helping to put their internal world into words and they, like the rest of us, just want to be recognized for who they truly are. With labeling, you're planting the seeds for language skills, mindfulness, self-esteem, and emotional wellness. So our third tip is to be the audience. If you feel a bit overwhelmed yourself, or for some reason are tongue-tied, just sit with your child. Watch what they're doing. Can you imagine what it means to them that you're taking the time to observe them and their play versus your phone, computer screen, other family members, a book, or chores? You're just watching them. And if you feel funny about this, don't worry. They'll probably assign you a job fairly quickly. You're showing them that you also value being present. Kids know how to do this naturally, just watch them play, but they slowly unlearn this from watching us be busy and multitask. By watching, you allow them to set the tone of the play. You learn so much more about what they need to process. Maybe it's an emotional issue, or maybe they're really ready to master their headstand. By letting them choose, you're helping them to listen to their own wisdom and trust it. It's also a fail-safe way to make sure that the activity is developmentally appropriate so they get a sense of mastery from their activity, not a bunch of frustration trying to say, uh, color in the lines like you. So be the audience and let them lead the direction of the play. One more thing I want to mention about being presently engaged in play with your child by labeling their actions and being their audience is that you're teaching them the mindfulness skill of non-judgment. 
Do they have some angry feelings they're using their toy soldiers to express? Are they really battling something out to the point it might make you worried or uncomfortable? Notice this. Be curious about this, but stay with them. Stop yourself from judging their play or telling them to play nicely. This gives them the opportunity to explore their emotions and use play to self-soothe and self-regulate. It helps them not get in the habit of having that inner critic we discussed in episode two, always worried they're thinking or feeling the wrong thing. And these suggestions can be used for playing with multiple children, but you may be called to intervene more if one child is uncomfortable with the play or there's an age difference like with siblings. So trust your gut here and use what skills you can. If possible, carve out as much time for one-on-one play with your child as your family schedule allows. So now you have my top three skills. You can start using these three interventions for engaging more deeply with your child and helping them to get the most out of their play immediately. Remember, model, label, and be the audience. So with these basic tips for playing with your child, what can you guys learn and develop together? What exactly do the benefits I have been talking about look like? First, playing together helps you bond. Play starts with attunement. If they bring you a block or make eye contact with you while dancing, they're asking you to join them in their play or at least become the audience. You're learning about each other as you play, learning how to communicate, what your interests are, and what's important to you both. This is also a really great moment to model your values to your child by cleaning up, asking for a turn, including others, being thoughtful, sharing, helping, and accepting a loss with grace. Imaginative play helps your child understand emotions. By playing pretend, your child actually gains clarity about what is real and what is not. And this helps them with things like symbolism and a sense of humor. Pretend play also helps your child experience feelings as someone else. Remember when I mentioned theory of mind earlier? This is one way that play supports the skill development. Adults that lack this skill can be oblivious, but to those they come in contact with, it's glaring. They lose out on building intimate and professional relationships and likely run into trouble while collaborating with others or advocating for themselves because they really cannot put themselves in someone else's shoes, even for their own gain. By pretending to be a character that's not themselves or multiple characters in one game, your child practices this ability to imagine what another person thinks, what motivates them, and how actions make them feel. This immediately benefits their relationships with friends and siblings, and later their negotiation tactics, likely first practiced on you. When you get frustrated with your teen for reading you so well, be grateful they even can, and help them to use their power for good. Children also manage their emotions through imaginative play, so after a particularly difficult day, stay near and watch your child get to work with their stuffed animals, cars, or dolls to unpack, process, and make sense of their latest challenge. 
When you play with them, you can help all these processes by labeling the emotions of the characters. This car crashed into that one. I wonder if he's angry. This soldier's crying. He seems sad. Having this emotional vocabulary is the first step towards emotional regulation. And play enhances social skills. We touched on this a bit when we're talking about theory of mind. But when children play with other kids, they learn how to enter or join a play activity, something we still have to do as adults when we don't know anyone in the room. Play helps kids make friends. And again, not much changes into adulthood here. When there's an activity two people enjoy or are skilled at, it's a safe place to start. And all that's required of cooperative plays, taking turns, sharing, learning someone else's limits, and patience is all skills that we need in order to maintain our relationships once we're in them. Social play also helps children practice being assertive, something that empowers little kids and could save your teenager's life. That may sound dramatic, but think about how much practice is necessary to lead up to the moment your teen says, no, I won't get in that car, take that pill, or meet you there. Even when your child's very young and may not play with other children regularly, they start the foundation of these social skills by playing with you and are much more prepared to make friends on the playground if they've had this opportunity. And play helps with emotional regulation. Remember, this is the ability to identify your own emotion and then manage it in a positive way. When I explain this to kids, teens, and parents, I let them know that what I mean by handling their emotions in a positive way is that the behavior is not harmful to you or anyone else, and it doesn't blow your chances at goals or ruin relationships. With play, children are learning all about their own emotions, and they're learning what play activities soothe them. Parents, this is something we tend to notice. When our child plays with this, they wind down or become deeply engaged. You can label their behavior and emotions when you see them really connecting to their favorite activity to help them begin to notice this as well. It helps to remind them that they have a space and a hobby where they feel calm and centered. When your child becomes stressed out, they can use their play activity, sport, hobby, instrument, or art project to create meaning around what they're grappling with. This also empowers them through self-expression. One of the best pieces play adds to emotional regulation is a sense of mastery and competence. Simple, child-led activities will actually lead your child to be more confident and exploratory than pushing them above their limits too early. And we'll talk way more about this in a future episode. As you can see, play really supports emotional regulation, which in turn supports resilience. This is your child's first independent coping tool. Play with your child for school readiness. I think that most parents and teachers are understanding that play holds such an important role in early education. In fact, we're even seeing middle school and high schools incorporate more project-based learning into their curriculum, so I know I'm not shouting into the wind here. You can see how describing the colors and numbers while you play really benefits learning, but let's go a little bit deeper. Let me share some factors I see as necessary for a child to succeed in school. 
and without can leave them with poor grades, at odds with their teacher, and maybe even having difficulty with friendships in the classroom. First, problem solving. If a child's not given the chance to experiment with problem solving, then they'll get really stressed out with their work that doesn't require strictly rote memorization. Listening and following directions, which children can see the importance of during a game with other children. If I want to participate, I better listen up or I'll be out. And I don't want to be out because I'm having so much fun. Curiosity. Let's face it, the school day is long and maybe even grueling if your child's not able to get excited about how all of the things they're learning connect to them and their world. It's hard to push through. Don't underestimate this one because even the most prepared and bright child will run into a subject they're not immediately skilled at. And this is when their curiosity will be their saving grace to help them ask questions and stay with it instead of giving up. Being able to explore our own interests helps to keep that aspect of our mind sharp. Think about the people you know that love learning about practically everything. They're open and curious. Attention's also important, and this muscle's flexed when children are given the opportunity to deeply engage in an activity by themselves or with others. Passive engagement, the opposite of play, erodes our ability to attend to things. Think about all the screens we're surrounded with and what inattentive zombies we look like when we're on them. And here's a quote I found useful from an article I've attached to the show notes. It's called What Preschoolers Really Need from Grownups by Diana DeVecha. She's reviewing the book, The Importance of Being Little, What Preschoolers Really Need from Grownups by Erica Christakis, a faculty member at the Yale Child Studies Center. I've also linked to this book as a resource. So here's the quote. In short, an academically focused curriculum for preschoolers is highly uneducational. They don't need scholastic skills. They need opportunities to be creative and productive and try new things, to grow self-regulation and communication skills, and even to develop a sense of humor. They need magic and boredom and room for their imagination, fantasies, and feelings. So finally, What you'll see with play is improved behavior. When children are given more time to play, especially with you, watch their behavior improve. Children seek parent or adult attention. They need a certain amount every single day. And what that amount is exactly depends on their age, temperament, and the quality of the engagement. So next time you notice your child acting out, think about the last time you sat down and played together. As I mentioned in our first episode, being present with your child is so important for both of you, and starting with five or ten minutes a day will be noticed and appreciated by a child currently getting less. The good news is you can double up and get bonus points here, as playing with your child forces you to use your mindfulness skill of being present with them. Sometimes parents will jump to, are you saying I need to play with my child all day long? No, not at all. We all need a little time to ourselves. Learning to be in our own company is a skill. Keep this on your radar and you'll notice the balance. If you play with your child, they'll eventually move on to something else. And that's an amazing feeling to outplay a child. 
Or if you've been doing your own thing, they'll come get you and want to play in order to reconnect. If they aren't used to playing with you, they'll attempt to reconnect by doing something you aren't fond of. So that's a moment to check in and ask, have I clocked any child-directed play today? If you really can't play with them, brainstorm. Can I encourage solitary play that's active and engaging in place of passive activities? Art, riding a bike, or playing dolls versus watching TV or playing on an iPad. Another question I get is how do I make time for play? I'm really busy. First, keep it simple. Yes, I really went on and on in this episode and talked about child development and emotional regulation, but this was about the benefits of play, not how to play. How to play was simple, remember? Model, label, and be the audience. You don't have to find fancy gadgets or set up a beautiful activity. Have a playful manner with all the stuff you have to get done anyway. Helping with laundry or dinner prep can become play if you're short on time and they'll be thrilled if you let them participate. If you really want to practice the child-led play, find them when they're playing and join them. This will encourage them to not get bored and go looking for you because you're here. You're the audience. And if you're super busy, it can be helpful to say, I have 10 minutes before I leave for work and I wanted to come see what you're doing. Drag your child along on your hobby. You may find out they share your interest in yoga or softball or walking. Remember, you can also give them choices you're comfortable with, such as, do you want to do this now or do this with me after dinner? This may help you to be more consistent because you've set up parameters that work for you. Finally, play can happen anywhere if we let it. Pay attention to cues. Engaging in some on-the-go play can make errands run smoother. What about play for teens and adults? Incorporating play is healthy for them. Being bored, just hanging out with friends, being silly, creative, weird, these are all forms of adult play. We sometimes get frustrated when we see this in our teens and we think of it as time mismanagement, but really it's a necessary part of self-development, self-care, and resilience. So have a conversation, attend to your arts and crafts, exercise, your sports, and hobbies. If you can, try something new along these lines, even if it's just getting on a different piece of equipment at the gym. I'm going to borrow Miss DeVetch's words again. We all need magic and boredom and room for imagination, fantasies, and feelings. I've attached another link, The Power of Play, to support parents and teens in their quest to be more mindful through their play activities. All right, that's our episode. Expect more on this topic because I just scraped the surface here. You can find our notes by going to wideawakeparenting.com, clicking on show notes, and selecting episode six. Let us know what you thought about this episode and share the ways in which you practice play in your family by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, tweeting at us, or sharing on Instagram. Find all our social media handles at wideawakeparenting.com and send your questions to us while you're there. It makes prepping the show so much more interactive and fun to incorporate your feedback. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, 
Be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay 